Hello and welcome to Cammy's Supporters Club. I'm Chris Kamara and this is my podcast. In each episode, I'm inviting some familiar faces to chat about the football team they love and the music that they've listened to along the way. In each episode, my guests will bring five tracks from their own record collections that remind them of the club they follow and their lives as football fans. It's time to welcome a new member into Cami Supporters Club. He is a current TV presenter, soap star, pantomime star, oh yes he was, a writer, a movie star and has sold over 25 million albums worldwide with the legendary Spandau Ballet. He is a living legend. I'm pleased to welcome Martin Kemp. Martin, how are you? Have I done all that? (laughs) Incredible. What a career you've had. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a bit weird. It's all, uh, you know, if you'd have said to me I would be here when I started out, I'd be here 50 years later still doing it. Uh, I would have laughed. But uh, for somehow, I've got away with it, you know. (laughs) Oh, God. Far from got away with it. I don't know if you remember, but seven years ago, we met for the first time at the NTAs. Right, I went into uh, one of the lounges upstairs, one of the boxes. I have to say, and you were there, and I was just—you know—when you see a superstar and you think, "Oh my God!" And uh, I went, I said a quick hello, and I went out, and I phoned my wife, and I said, "You'll never guess who's in our box." And she said, "Who?" I said, "Martin Kim." She said, "Have you spoken to him?" I said, "Well, I said hello." She went. That was that was it. I said, "Oh, I was so shocked." I said, "By seeing him, I got all nervous, and I don't normally do that as well." Because I said, "He won't know who I am." But listen, I'm the same. When I meet anybody that you know I've looked up to, or or I, you know, just I've enjoyed what they've done over the years, and I'll never forget my my biggest meeting with anyone famous was uh, David Bowie. When I was a kid, I was only 17. I was at Trident Studios where he was recording some some new music. And there was a party after he had finished recording. And somehow I was invited. I was 17, right? And I'm sitting in the corner of this room. I am completely drunk, right? And I see David Bowie walk in through the door. And I think, I've got to go over and shake his hand. And I leave it about an hour. And I'm getting more and more pissed by the time he comes for me to get the courage to go over there. And as I get over, I manage to shake his hand. I say hello. And I just did that crab walk sideways. I hit the wall. And David Bowie looked at me. And all I remember is face going. And it was like, that was my introduction. And I met him a few years later. And it was Bob Geldof and Paulie Yates' wedding. And uh, I looked at him, I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to say hello. (laughs) Oh, dear. Great story. Apart from working with your son on Martin and Roman's Weekend Best, who do you look back at and think, 
Yeah, that was extra special. Oh, lots of people. You know, I think probably, probably the extra special moment of work that I've ever had was had to be Live Aid. It's one of those moments in my life that uh, you knew it was historic as you were doing it. You know, most things only become historic in retrospect when you look back at it. But that day, you know, there was like 100,000 people in the stadium, but 2 billion people watched it around the world at the same time. And you knew that that moment was going, was larger than life. And there was one particular moment when I was standing on the side of the stage watching Queen do their 20 minutes. And I knew it was the best thing I'd ever seen and probably the best thing I will ever see in rock music. And I think that moment for me uh, stand out. Oh, fantastic. Right. Who's the biggest baddie, Reggie Cray or Steve Owen from EastEnders? <laughs> oh, Steve Owen, easy. <laughs> easy? <laughs> well, listen, you know, in real life, uh, Reggie Cray was um, was outstanding. He was, uh, that was amazing, you know, to play that part, to get offered to play that part. For me, it was kind of like the launch pad coming out of Spandau Ballet because I knew Spandau had run through the, uh, through the 80s and uh, it had come to its end. The sell-by date had run out, and I knew that was coming. Uh, and so when someone came to me and said, do you want to play this part in the Craytwin movie? I knew that was the springboard into the rest of my life. So I will always be grateful for that, you know? And Gary and I were lucky to play those parts. You know, he played Ronnie, I played Reggie. We were lucky to play those parts at that particular time because all the family, the Craytwin family was still around. They were still alive. So we had loads of resources to go to. You know, we could talk to them firsthand as to what they were like and who they were. So that was important. But EastEnders came along at a time when I really needed it, right? When uh, I'd just gone through this whole brain tumour sickness for like four years. And uh, I'd been out completely out of action. You know, I'd been depressed. I was down on the floor. Um, it, life couldn't get worse. You know, I'd faced death for a couple of years. And uh, EastEnders came along. And then I thought, everyone was telling me, don't do it. It'll ruin your career. Don't do it. And I'm thinking, I just need to do something to get out of the house. And Steve Owen, to this day, I would still say, was partially responsible for saving my sanity. Because I took that part to get me out of that whole brain tumour period. You know, that's why it was important to me. And uh, when I took it on that part, I had no confidence. You know, I was com coming out of a really big depression from four years of suffering from this thing and going through major operations. And um, so what I always think is that Steve Owen, that part had so much confidence and so much charisma. It's kind of, I stole some of his to get my feet back on the ground. And even to this day, you know, I look back at Steve Owen and I thank him for that. Oh, you were brilliant. You played the part fantastic and you got all those awards that were incredible. But just for our listeners who don't know, tell us what football team you support. Oh, I'm a gooner through and through. You know, I was brought up in Canterbury, just around the corner from, from Highbury. And uh, my dad started taking me there when I was just a kid when I must have been um, eight years old 
when I went to see my first football match there, and that was Arsenal versus Ajax, the semi-final of the Fairs Cup, right? We were down 1-0 because we had lost to Ajax um, in the first leg, and we came back and we, I think we won 3-0 on the day that I saw it. It was um, Ian Cruyff's Ajax that we know. Wow. Yeah, and that was my first football match that I ever saw. So I kind of like started off on a winning streak. And then after that, my dad took me to the Fairs Cup final, which was against Anderlecht, and we won. So I was kind of like came into football right at the perfect time when we win a trophy, which I think the Fairs Cup actually was the first thing we'd won for something like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was kind of lucky, but they became my team. Oh, brilliant. Who was the team? Frank McClintock, Charlie George, George Armstrong, George Graham, Pat Jennings. It was a team that kind of went on to do the double, the first ever double in uh, 1971, 1972 season. Uh, So it was the same team and they were getting better and better. And and I remember the um, the night we played Anderlecht, it was probably... People say it was the, the most exciting night Highbury ever saw, right? And I remember the pitch pitch that night. It was just a mud bath. There wasn't a blade of grass on the thing. It was just soaking with water and brown mud. It didn't look anything like a football pitch. Uh, it was unrecognisable. But the football they played that night was so sublime. And I will never forget it, never. Uh, and that's completely what drew me in. You know, you go today, and I, I remember the first time I took Roman to see a football match, and we walk into Highbury, and the pitch was beautiful and green. You know that first moment you walk up the steps yeah, and you, yeah. you, you get your first look at the grass, and it's kind of like brighter and bright, isn't it, that green, that first look at it. And I took Roman to see that, and I, I remember thinking that day, it hasn't always been like this, Rome. So we ask all our guests for five songs that they associate with supporting their team. But before we get into that, I have to ask a music legend just one question. You knew the God that was George Michael really well. Yeah, of course, but but I never knew him as George Michael, really. I, You know, he was just my mate. You, you have to remember my wife Shirley and him went to school together. So... It wasn't like, you know, when he came around here and he was playing with the kids and he was just part of the family. You know, he wasn't like a superstar. Obviously, you know, in the end, he was one of the world's biggest superstars. Uh, and he was one of the loveliest people that I've ever met in my life. I mean, he got, he brought me and Shirley together. And I'll tell you the story, right? Uh, Shirley and I, first time I ever saw Shirley was on Top of the Pops. And uh, I remember I was at my mum and dad's house and I'm sitting on the carpet and with my back up against the sofa arm and uh, I'm watching Top of the Pops on a Thursday night and this new band comes on called Wham! And they go into Young Guns, Wham! Rat. And I fall absolutely in love with my wife, Shirley. Two weeks later... I mean, this VIP party thing after a show called Yakety Yak with the McGann brothers. And uh, I see her across the room. And so I go over and I give her my number and I say, call me, you know, we'll go out. And I could see her giving me a funny look because I had a bit of makeup on in those days, you know, a little bit of, this was, uh, <laughs> <I did you. laughs> and, uh, you know, I remember I had a little bit of mascara on. I could see Shirley giving me a funny look. 
Anyway, I give her my number and she doesn't call me for about three weeks, right? And then one day the phone goes, I pick it up and it's Shirley. Now she tells the story that she wasn't going to call me at all, but George Michael dialed the number, picked up the receiver and put it in her hand. <laughs> so he brought the two of us together. And then we go, and then we go on a first date in Camden Palace and George decides to come with us. <laughs> I've got a spare wheel with me. I could. I was trying all night to get away from him. <laughs> George, do one. <laughs> he was following me around all the time. So anyway, listen, listen, George. Uh, I, I love him so much. I always will. I miss him every day. He's. A, he was such a lovely man. Oh, brilliant! Right, your first track is the Beatles. Get back by Lennon and McCartney from 1969. Why? Uh, Lennon McCartney, well, it's Beatles, it's Get Back, it's 1969. It's the first time I ever saw um, Arsenal. So it kind of reminds me of that period. It's for me, Let It Be, when the Beatles played on the roof, is the best album ever made. And I love the fact that it was never meant to be an album as such. They were meant to be rehearsing songs so that they could go out and play live with this. And uh, it was only, you know, they pressed record, luckily, and uh, recorded the songs. But it was never actually meant to be uh, like a studio album. It was going to be, they were going to take it out live and record that and release that. And uh, playing on the roof at Apple was, I think, one of the highlights music has ever seen. You know, it's one of the biggest uh, moments. And uh, I just always felt like I wish I was there. I wish I was walking along the street that day and I heard Get Back, you know, and just looked up. But of course, you know, I was only eight. So I'm talking about, in retrospect, looking back on things. Uh, and uh, just such, such a lovely moment, such a great song. Reminds me of being a kid, going to Arsenal for the first time. Let's remind everyone of that rooftop scene. Get back. song billy preston playing the keyboard on that track get back by the beatles was it beatles all the way for you it was a bit of both the beatles came later you know i was a rolling stones boy you know i grew up uh, going to uh, earl's court to see the rolling, Sco rolling stones with my brother when i was uh, 15 uh, and um so i grew up with the stones more the beatles for me have come a later time, you know, even like, even now, I've, I think I'm still discovering the Beatles. Oh, absolutely fantastic. You mentioned the Rolling Stones there, and I had a bit of a Martin Kemp moment when I met Mick Jagger. I was at the 10,000 and 2010 World Cup in South Africa, and he was in the same restaurant as me. And it was the days before mobile, so you didn't have a, you know, a camera to go and ask for a photo. So I got a scrap piece of paper from my notes, as you do, and went over with a pen. 
and asked him to sign it. And without even looking at me, he signed it and gave me it back. But I was still chuffed, I have to say. I wasn't devastated, I was chuffed. (laughs) We've all got those autographs that we treasure, man, you know, all of us. Right, a fantastic story here. You and Roman, your boy, were the last people to score a goal at the famous Highbury Stadium. Come on! How? Because, do you remember at the end of Highbury when they were closing it down, right, they did this sale where you could buy a piece of grass, right? And uh, this, Roman and I bought a piece of grass online and you had to book it in and then you had to go to Highbury to go and pick it up. Now, Roman at the time, you've got to remember, he's only, a, you know, he's only uh, 11 or 12 or something like that. So he's still a kid, still excited by football. So I take him down to Highbury to pick up that piece of grass. And if this is on the last day that you could pick it up because Arsenal was being converted into a block of flats. And so they were ripping the side of the turf up. They wrapped it up. And they gave it to me. And then they come over and said, they recognised me, and they come over and said, uh, Mike, would you, um, seeing you're down here, would you do a quick interview for Sky News as to why you're down here, what you're doing? And I looked at Ro and I said, yeah, all right, I'll do that for you, but as long as me and Ro can have 10 minutes on the pitch. You're joking. <laughs> and Ro was standing there like this. Really? He waits, he waits to me and I said to Ro, Ro, go to the car, get the ball out of the boot. So he goes over, gets the ball out of the boot of the car, comes back with it underneath his arm, and we go and play for 10 minutes on the pitch. Oh, and we scored the last goals before they oh. it down and ripped the pitch up. And I, do you know what I did? Do you know what I did? I went to the end where I remember Arsenal scoring the last goal in the Fairs Cup final. Oh, brilliant. Uh, what, a f- what a story. What a tale to tell. Right, on to your second track, which is also from 1969. It's a classic It's from Norman Greenbaum, and it's Spirit in the Sky. Yeah. I mean, I love this track so much. Um, It's You know, I go out and I do 1980s DJing at this show called uh, Back to the 80s. And this track is one of the tracks that I love. And I'll play it for me more than anything. But also this track, it reminds me of 1970 again, which is Arsenal, which is 1971, which is Arsenal, the the, uh, the double that we did. Uh, we were the first team ever to do that double, which a lot of people forget. Uh, but, and this song reminds me of that time. Oh, you know that when you die. Great song. I did my research on this, and it's been to number one three times, Martin. Did you know that? Is it really? Yeah. Norman was the first one. Doctor and the Medics in 1986 was the second one. And I didn't believe this, but it's true. Gareth Gates and the Kumars got it there in 2003. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. The one I play is Doctor in the Medics in the 80s, you know, because we do an 80s gig. So, uh, but uh, listen, I love that track. So good. So good. 
Okay, back to football. Who is your favourite Arsenal manager of all time? Oh man, it has to be uh, Bertie Mee. Has to be. You know, that was the man that I grew up with. Um, you know, he gave me. He he kind of led me into football in a way. Uh, that was the only style of football I knew. And when I, like I said, you know, when I started going to Arsenal when I was uh, just a kid, when my dad was taking me. Um, and we were standing in the stands and you could still buy peanuts from the fella walking round. And he used to, he used to, this fella used to walk around the uh, the track at Arsenal and he used to shout out, anyone want peanuts? And you'd push <laughs> money down through the crowd, your 10p or whatever it was, down the crowd and everyone would pass it down and then they'd pass <laughs> your peanuts back up. <laughs> Brilliant. But Bertie Me for me was the man. You know, he introduced me to the Fairs Cup. He won the double. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, like every manager, it all falls apart. Right. Your third track is from the fella that knows you like a sherbet, David Bowie. <laughs> and it's Ziggy Stardust from 1972. I had to choose Ziggy Stardust, right, because Ziggy Stardust is part of my growing up. Because I remember clearly, Gary and I used to share a bedroom where in my mum and dad's house when we grew up. And on my side of the wall, I would have pictures of Bruce Lee, Marlon Brando, football, Arsenal pictures. And on Gary's side of the room, it was all filled with guitars and pitch posters of David Bowie. So every time I woke up in the morning, I would always look at David Bowie first thing. And it was Ziggy Stardust, period, that Gary was Gary loved, you know. Uh, and so 1972 for me is all about David Bowie. You know, it's, it's all Gary spoke about. And when you're a kid of that age, my age, you look up to your big brother, don't you? He, everything he says is gospel. You know, everywhere he went, I wanted to go. And I was always too young, so I got left behind. You know, my mum would always say, no, you, you've got a couple of years before you go there. And uh, I remember one day he went to see David Bowie at the rainbow and I was so jealous I can't begin to tell you about that but uh, 1972 also uh, is about Arsenal but it's um, I think that year we didn't win the title but we still came second but you could see the Arsenal team that won the double and just kind of like flipped over the edge a little bit and uh, it was the beginning of a downward spiral for Arsenal for a while. Let's have a listen to that wonderful tune from David Bowie. David Bowie, they're sounding out of this world on Ziggy Stardust. Brilliant tune. Oh, what a track, man. What a track. Uh, that takes me back to my bedroom with my brother, I'll tell you, in Islington. I know the answer to this, uh, Highbury or Emirates. So we know it's Highbury, but what do you think of the Emirates? Uh, I love the Emirates. I think it's great. But I think they're two different, they're two different things because the Highbury was all about atmosphere. You know, you know, you remember Highbury was so, such a small ground and the pitch was like painted in at the smallest you could get it to make it tight for everyone coming to visit you, the teams coming to visit. 
the Emirates is so spread out and the atmosphere in the Emirates has gone. I think it is like a library. It is quiet. You know, as much as the supporters want it to be how it used to be, it isn't. But what it is good at is letting you watch the game. And if you're in one of the stands looking down at the football match, it's unbelievable. You can see where all the players are running off to and stuff that you couldn't see at Highbury. I saw this icon in Sheffield and it was one of the best shows I have ever seen. So for your fourth track, you have chosen Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. What's the story that goes behind that? Well, I'll tell you something. I saw Bruce Springsteen in uh, Australia, in uh, Sydney once. And I agree with you. It was one of the best shows I'd ever seen. The only thing is, I think it went on for about four hours. So the first first two hours was the best show I'd ever seen. The first two hours was the worst because I was just, oh, come on, get it over. (laughs) I bought the run for the seventh time. But everything that Clarence Clements could do on his sax, I thought, well, right, that's enough now. But Born to Run, I just thought, came out in 1975, at a time when I could feel myself running away from Arsenal as well. And I remember being so disappointed in the team that we had at that time. And now I might be wrong here, but I think they were lower the mid-table that year. I think there was something like 16, 15, 16. Everything was kind of going wrong. The, the, the double team of the 70s that I loved was disintegrating. They were becoming too old. Um, I think we had Malcolm McDonald was playing up front. And I'll tell you a story. At that point, I was playing schoolboy football. And I was invited to go and train with Arsenal, right? Because I was playing districts for Islington. And one day at Arsenal, they took us over to the fields close by and they said, we're going to do a cross country. And as I'm doing cross country, I'm running around and I hated running, to be honest with you, you know, long distance running, hated it. Loved playing football, hated running. And uh, so I'm running around and I'm stuck with another mate of mine. And as we come past one of the bushes, I can see Malcolm McDonald hiding (laughs) behind the bush. I mean, seriously, like, he, he was like my centre forward that I was looking up to, and he was hiding behind the bush. <laughs> and so and I will never forget his face when I saw him, when we looked eye to eye, and uh, I'll never forget that moment. So he kind of stuck in my mind, but he kind of like summed up Arsenal at that point for me. 1975, mid-table, Malcolm McDonald hiding behind the bush. Uh, you know, it was all going wrong. From two men... Martin Kemp and Malcolm McDonald, who weren't born to run. Let's have a listen to Bruce's version. Dean said he wanted Born to Run to sound like Roy Orbison singing Bob Dylan, produced by Spectre. And listening to that, I think he managed it. Bruce wrote that from personal experience, all about hitting the road and living life to its fullest. 
Is that you, Martin Kemp? Uh, yeah, I did that. I live life till it's to its fullest. When I was a kid, you know, back on back in during the eighties with the band, um, you know, my favourite memories with a band were always uh, the early days when we were really naive. You know, everything was brand new, and I, and I loved that so much. But you know, we reached a point as well when we were playing football stadiums around Europe, and our feet definitely lost, left the ground, which, I, you know, I really appreciate. You know, I love being that rock star and living that life, flying around the world in Learjets during the 80s. I thought it was an amazing way to grow up. But my favourite memories are all based around the early days. You know, like, I'll give you an example. Um, we, st- we, we were doing promotion in Europe somewhere. And I was flying with, uh, sitting next to my best friend on, a, on an airplane, Steve Norman, who plays saxophone in the band. I know Steve. He became like my brother in the band. And uh, we shared a room together in the early days. And uh, as we were flying towards Belgium, I think it was this day, and he said to me, Mark, when we get here, I will show you something that you will never forget. I said, all right. So we get to the hotel and he takes me to a sauna. I've never been to a sauna in my life, right? I'm just like, what am I, 18 years old? Cut to, I am sitting in this sauna in Germany. and uh, uh, Yes, Germany, not Belgium. Sorry, we're flying towards Germany. And I'm sitting in this sauna in Germany and looking down and there are naked girls walking around everywhere. And I'm looking around thinking, what? where am I? You know, I'm, it's like I've landed on, a, on an <laughs> alien planet, 18 years old. And I'm looking around thinking, oh my goodness. So then Steve says to me, come outside, I'm going to show you something else. So we walk outside and there's this long trough and it's about two foot high and about, I would say, about 15 foot long. And it's filled with those kind of pummel stones that you get in a um, um, garden centre, you know, soft things. And he, Steve said to me, what you do is you get in it and you walk up and down and you dig your feet into the pummel stones and it gets all the dead skin off. So I said, that sounds all right. You know, there's me and Steve, completely naked, completely sweaty, dangling around. And we're in this pot. I think, yeah, it's nice. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the room, there was these two big double doors and they burst open. And this big German woman comes belting in and she goes, what are you doing? You are in my plant pot. (laughs) Me and Steve weren't just in the plant pot, walking down naked. We're in the reception. <laughs> it's just like one of those memories, right? That sticks out to me. It sticks out to me because it kind of, I love so much because it just reminds me of how naive we were. You know, I'd never been to a sauna, but, um, you know, they were my favorite times. But like you say, you know, being on the road and being a rock star in the middle of the 80s, flying around the world in your Learjets. Uh, is also something that I dare say has added to my personality as to who I am, you know, that I can look at it back and and laugh at it. Arsenal have had some of the best players in the world. Tony Adams, Dennis Bergkamp, Paul Merson, my mates, (laughs) one or two of the others. Well, great player, man. Oh, fantastic. But Thierry Henry... Arsenal fans love him like no other. Yeah, Terry was the best player I think Arsenal's ever had. You know, um, 
he did things with a ball that I've never seen anybody else do. Uh, some of the goals that he scored were just sublime. He played with, constantly played with a smile on his face that you love. I think before Thierry, I would have said Liam Brady was one of the best players that I ever saw play with Arsenal. Uh, but Thierry came along and he's definitely got the crown for me. He's the king of Arsenal and he deserves that statue that is outside. My mate Ian Wright won't be happy that I haven't mentioned him. <laughs> well, listen, Ian was great as well, man. You know, you don't need to even talk about Ian. You know, listen, Ian, Ian will tell you he was king of Arsenal. <laughs> and he, he was for a time, you know. Ian Wright, right, right. Your final track. The Clash, Should I Stay or Should I Go? What a great song as well. This is uh, 1991, right? 1991. And it's a funny old season that for Arsenal because we won, we won the league that year. But it was a close thing, wasn't it? We were actually that year, I'll tell you something, what I remember about it was that Arsenal, uh, we won the league, but we were really close to doing the double again which no team had ever done at that point. That's why I remember it. And we lost 3-1 to Tottenham at Wembley in the semi-final that stopped us doing the double. And the the other thing that I remember about that season was, do you remember there was a big punch-up with Arsenal Man United that season? And we were deducted two points. And that was the start of the whole Arsenal Man United battle that led to the Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira moments in the tunnels that we all enjoyed, you know. But uh, listen, I just thought, should I stay or should I go, is uh, quite appropriate. It certainly is. Let's have a listen. Darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine, I'll be here till the end of... So, Martin... Mikel Arteta, should he stay or should he go? <laughs> oh, man, this is such a difficult question there. Um, I mean, to be honest, if it was anyone else, I'd be saying, get him out. You know, he's not done a good enough job. But I really like Arteta. I liked, I loved him at the club as a player. You know, he's, he's probably in the same position Solskjaer was, who's come through, I think, now with, with United. And uh, is pulling the cat out of the bag at the moment. I think he's doing really well with United. Hopefully, Arteta can do the same sort of thing. But I think if it was anyone else, if it was a manager from Europe, I think they would have gone at the end of this season. Martin Kemp, you are a living legend. Thank you so much. And it wouldn't be fair to do a podcast with an icon and not play one of their own songs. So from Spandau Ballet to True, you are a true legend. Oh, thank you, man. Listen, I've really enjoyed myself reminiscing here, Uh, not just with the records and the music, but football. You know, it takes me back to being a kid again, holding my dad's hand, going to Arsenal for the first time. I loved it. Thanks for listening to Cammy's Supporters Club. Make sure you subscribe to Cammy's Supporters Club on your podcast provider of choice and you'll never miss out on any of the action. 
And if you've enjoyed listening, give us a review and a rating. I'll be chatting to another guest very soon as they soundtrack their relationship with the beautiful game. See you then. Bye.